everyone welcome to the episode 10 of soul lead saturday the guest we have today matthew he shows his passion because over 30 years he's working in the cyber security so definitely he is passionate about the area he's interested in and uh, let's hear his career journey how did he find his passion and manage to be one of the leaders in the areas he is passionate about so welcome matthew and thank, thank you, you for thank being you for on the Soul Lead Saturday podcast. Uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, pleasure is mine, actually. So uh, to start with, uh, when I saw your profile, actually, you have been nominated as LinkedIn Top Voices for Cybersecurity in 2018. And also from Thinker360 also, you have been nominated as Top Voices. Also, you are a keynote speaker. So. Um, what do you think that extra mile or the extra step that you did you take to achieve those titles? Uh, you know, there's so many great people in the industry. Uh, I'm surprised and, and I'm incredibly honored to be on both of those lists. Uh, just to be into that community. Personally, I have a passion. I, I love my industry, cybersecurity. And for many, many years, as I've developed methodologies or papers, um, I've shared those and I've worked with the community openly to help them be successful. So I prolifically blog and I speak to audiences all over the world, whether it be just as a speaker or as a keynote. Um, I also advise academia, businesses and governments around the world. And the purpose there is to help them. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes across, I, you know, our industry is not easy. So when you have people that are out there and willing to spend their time and effort and share their experiences, both their successes and even their failures, it builds a bridge and it, and it helps the community at large. And I think people respond to that. Yeah, that's true actually. Nowadays, because of all such online platforms and social media networks, it's very easy to like, you know, connect with the people and uh, actually share your knowledge. It's kind of a collaborative thing, which is like easily available to everybody. So yeah, thank you. Uh, that is definitely something I can relate as well because I being in the data science community, I feel like, you know, uh, it is like people are always there to help you out if you approach them. So thank you so much. And uh, moving to the next question, uh, it is about, you know, uh, cybersecurity strategist and advisor. You worked like such a long year, like, you know, 30 years, over 30 years you worked in that particular area. So that is definitely shows your passion. So I would like to ask is like, how did you find your passion towards it? And uh, what steps did you take to achieve that? Well, ironically, when I started 30 years ago, security was a dead end field. Um, th there weren't many opportunities and definitely not growth. It wasn't recognized very much. Uh, it was a cost sink and you, know, you didn't spend much. Uh, organizations didn't spend much on security. I originally started on the physical security side. So I did investigations, internal, external for theft, fraud, embezzlement, things of that sort. And I had a passion for it. It was very unusual. It was ambiguous. And there was an intelligent person on the other side, an adversary, mm -hmm. who sometimes was very smart, sometimes not, but definitely creative. And that drew me to it because that is incredibly challenging when you're facing somebody and their skill sets, their tools, their motivations. Um, and you have to understand the playing field as well. So you have to understand your skills, then the threat, and then the playing field that you're on. And it's a game of winning or losing. Either you get that person and you remove the threat or you don't. <laughs> and they continue to be a threat and, and cause problems. 
So that's where I started. When I joined Intel about 24 years ago, uh, they brought me in and I was again on the technical side. I've always had a passion for technology. And so when I came to Intel, I was able to synthesize both of those passions. Mm-hmm. Technology, and at that point I was coding and computers and building things and all sorts of fun stuff. And the security aspects of it. So I had the opportunity to actually justify and then build out Intel's first 24 by 7 security operations center. And shortly after that, we had to build out our CERT team, our our crisis response team. So I was asked to build that and lead that. So I was incident commander for the entire company. So anytime the company got attacked, it was my team that would spin up and we would go address it. And, you know, one thing led to another. And I truly have this passion. I, I enjoy this. And so I'm always looking, what is the next impossible thing to accomplish? Mm. And at Intel, there's always something new and impossible. So my career constantly just took another step. Mm. People began seeking me out for different challenges, whether it was protecting our hardware or um, building a team and managing our security for all of our mergers mm-hmm. and acquisitions. Um, you know, protecting the factories or, you know, the, the last job that I had, they asked me to come in and build out and run cybersecurity for our new AI group. Um, nice. Again, every challenge was different and it was just wonderful. Yeah. And so I would like, yeah. So I would can like summarize this if this way, like, you know, so you found your passion and being innovative mind and creative in nature and always have the curiosity on taking challenges helped you to grow further more in that passion actually so definitely that is something like you know good skills to have like you know if you are curious about something if you are creative about something you always grow in that area actually further yeah yeah, that is definitely insightful and uh, moving to the next question like actually you already elaborated on that part like what steps did you take like you know you all they were afraid of and you always laid your team as well like you know whenever there was a challenge you always shown the leadership quality as well so um moving to the next question it is more over on um you were like you worked in intel for quite a long time and uh, it mentions that you know um um you were on the cybersecurity in the artificial intelligence side when it was coming to that that area so um would you like to elaborate on more on that part actually what is what does that mean how that cybersecurity in artificial intelligence uh, helps organizations yeah, so you know the role that that I designed for for this uh, new group, and it you know it, it's a massive multi-billion-dollar uh, group at Intel, really kind of fell into three spaces. Uh, they asked me to come in and and basically secure their environment. Their uh, the group was founded from an acquisition, and so it was not you know homegrown. It was brought in and then integrated, so it didn't have much in that space. So they asked me to come in and build it from the ground up and then manage it. So protecting the operations, that was the first aspect. Mm -hmm. The second aspect was to look at the actual products in development Mm -hmm. and help understand what can we do to apply best practices to make sure that those security products were secure, right, as they're going out into the marketplace. And then as they stay in the marketplace, how to keep them secure. Mm -hmm. That was the second aspect. The third aspect was to help the industry and our partners Uh, understand the ramifications, right? The benefits, but also the risks of artificial intelligence in the cybersecurity world. 
Um, the bad guys use artificial intelligence as well. In fact, they're a leader in it. Uh, they started using artificial intelligence long before the defensive side of cybersecurity. So there, there's always a risk. AI is a tremendously powerful capability. It, it brings wonderful things, things that we can't even imagine to connect and enrich everyone's digital lives. However, it also brings equitable risks. And if we don't understand that, we can't get ahead of it. And if we can't get ahead of it, it gives an opportunity to those who would use it maliciously to victimize people. So those were the three areas that I kind of dove into to well, make AI and security kind of a better place. Yeah, that is like a perfect combination, I feel. <laughs> you are in like a very uh, uh, specific skill set area, actually. So uh, that is definitely useful. Moving to the next question is about, again, along the same line. Um, you are responsible for secure delivery of artificial intelligence products that come to the market. So would you like to explain what goes under that? Like what kind of a market analysis goes when the delivery of a product has to be done? Yeah, it, it's really around, you know, uh, security development operations, right? So we've got tremendously intelligent and, and creative people developing products. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we see this in companies and governments all over the world. You, you get top talent, especially when it comes to artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, but they may not be security savvy. Mm -hmm. They may be very, very good in understanding machine learning or deep learning or algorithms or, or data analysis, but don't necessarily have a background in how that potentially could be used or undermined or compromised. So it's a matter of bringing security best practices into that development cycle. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to you know, completely disrupt or destroy that development cycle because you need to get products out at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of finding that optimal balance in applying those best practices while continually raising the knowledge and experience of those engineers and developers when it comes to security. Mm -hmm. And as they understand that, the products get better and better. We're looking for things in products, you know, coding issues or design issues, mm -hmm. interface issues, things of that sort uh, to help understand. And then you're weaving in some of the base principles of, okay, we want to make sure there's no known vulnerabilities. We want to make sure that later on, if uh, vulnerabilities are discovered, there's a means to be able to detect mm -hmm. and remediate those in a very efficient manner, right? So there's lots of different components there to really kind of make security optimal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when we are talking about these best practices, right? Is it always like a iterative process, like whatever you find in particular phase, then you come up with like, okay, this might went wrong and that might be the best practice going onwards. So how does these best practices get defined actually? It is just a question from my side because we are talking about the best practices. Uh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and again, best practices flow across the entire design process mm -hmm. and even operations and, and, and whatnot afterwards. Mm -hmm. But for example, um, coding. Mm -hmm. If you're using uh, data repositories, right, uh, other software repositories, and it makes a lot of sense to reuse code, making sure that those repositories are the current ones and there's no known vulnerabilities out there. Mm -hmm. There's great vulnerability databases, and, and a lot of times those aren't checked, right? And if mm -hmm. you start with the latest on day one through your development process, by day 100, right, because you've worked on other things, mm -hmm. it may not be the latest anymore. And so you have to have a, a process to look back 
and yeah. say, all right, before this goes out the door, I'm going to check. And if any changes have to be made, now I have to go back through testing and validation and everything else. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, even something as simple as making sure vulnerabilities aren't in known code, mm-hmm. it can be difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also, you know, red team testing, vulnerability mm-hmm. scanning. And I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of different things just when it comes to code and, and getting products out the door. Okay. Yeah, that is, uh, that is useful. So uh, moving to the next question, uh, it's about uh, specific to the cybersecurity, I guess. What is the difference between encoding, encryption, and hashing? So, uh, you know, encryption, hashing, encoding, it's all about protecting data, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're really talking about cryptography. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I- encrypting is, is being able to, to transform data from something in the clear, which anybody can read, to something that's more secure that really only people that you want that are intended can mm-hmm. decipher that and, and figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hashing is a mean, means of validating that data to make sure it's not changed. It has to do with integrity. So you've got confidentiality, the encryption, you've got hashing is integrity, and you want to encode all that because you want to automate it and move it at speed. Uh, you don't want to be doing this by hand. You don't want to hand ciphers or anything. So, you know, being able to encrypt data in use, in mm-hmm. transit, and at rest is very important. And that's how you secure data across its entire life cycle is in those three areas. So, you know, when it comes to technology, you want to be able to automate that mm-hmm. and do it in such a way that the attackers can't undermine it. Mm-hmm. So that's really what we do when we're, when we're talking about cryptography and, mm-hmm. and hashing, fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. That makes sense to me too as well. Like, you know, when uh, we also within the organization try to get the data accesses, always it goes to the data governance and the security things. Um, so some of the things like, you know, uh, you have to secure it actually, encrypt it before you are using it in any application. So yeah, that is something like an interesting area as well in the data security part uh, when we are talking a lot more about the data fields nowadays. So yeah, that makes sense to me. Thank you so much. So uh, moving to the next question is about, um, uh, is there any favorite cybersecurity tool, assessment tool that you use? Well, again, cybersecurity is just so dynamic and, and every industry uses it and you use it in every kind of phase. You, you use it when you're talking about data and you're talking about applications and operating systems and virtual environments and firmware and hardware. It goes across the spectrum and there are hundreds, if not thousands of spectacular tools out there. But if I had to pick one, it is that security savvy, technology driven operations security person, right? So in my security operations center, I had many, many, many very technical, very smart people. And Mm -hmm. they knew how to look at a problem and then go into that toolbox and figure out which one that they're going to use. There is nothing like, and nor can it be replaced, a security savvy person. Mm -hmm. Um, And whether it's that, that engineer, that technology engineer, or even the end users, um, as I've always said, I would rather have a security savvy workforce mm-hmm. more than a stack of firewalls wow. uh, because security isn't just technology. It's mm-hmm. also behaviors mm-hmm. and you can have the most secure technical environment, mm-hmm. but if you've got users that are just clicking away on things and, and acting in insecure mm-hmm. ways, you're going to undermine it. So it has to be the combination of both technology and behaviors mm-hmm. and the process that connects them. 
So there's no one favorite tool, but if I had to say, it's got to be a security savvy person. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that uh, that is that is definitely like makes sense to me as well because when you're talking about it, it's not only the technology and the user behavior. So yeah, that is true. So uh, moving to the next question, it is uh, about your keynote speaking. Actually, you are a keynote speaker. Yes. So when did you start it? Like, uh, and uh, how do you go for it? Like when it comes to the keynote speaking, how do you decide your topic or any guidance, like uh, guidelines or some, some keynote speaker you follow always? Yeah. Um, so I've been speaking you know, ever, ever since I've been in, in the industry. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's important. It's important for professionals to be able to speak and communicate and collaborate mm -hmm. because again, the challenges are so immense. There's, you can't do it by yourself. The only way security as an industry wins is if we communicate and collaborate together. The good, it's the good guys against the bad guys. It's not one company against another, competitors or market share. It's really just the good guys against the bad guys. So from the very beginning, I was speaking. I was speaking internally within my company. I was speaking to our vendors, to our suppliers, to our partners. And then that expanded out. That expanded out to academia, to many other businesses in the industry, and even to governments. And probably somewhere in the 15 years ago, Mark, it went from simply speaking at events and with, with other parties, you know, behind closed doors to being asked, well, you've got a message, you've got passion, you can communicate things mm -hmm. that most people don't understand in terms that they get, whether it be the C-level, whether it be security engineers, whether it be product people, whether it be customers, you know, will you come do a, a keynote for us? And so I think it was about 15 years ago that I started doing it. It was smaller events and I really loved it. I absolutely love being on stage. And especially when I have the ability to, to interact with the audience. Now, if the audience is maybe 300 or less, I can do that. Mm -hmm. And I can have conversations and open up questions and, and you know, give a presentation and then have a lot of interaction. Once you get past about the 300 mark, it becomes a little more difficult and it tends to be more just a presentation that's one way. Um, but for every single engagement, uh, I do not reuse my presentations for the most part. I may use pieces here and there from different ones, but I'll sit down with whoever's hosting the conference or event. And I want to know some things. Who's your audience? What's their background? What's the theme of the uh, event? What do you want them to walk away with at the end of the day? And based on that, I will craft a framework of uh, key messages and supporting information and I'll build my slide deck and I'll have it in my mind as I step on stage. Um, and I don't just read slides. I don't. Uh, in fact, I'll typically only have maybe five or six notes in my mind, um, key points that I want to bring across. But everything else, I'm just talking to the audience and I'm responding and adjusting my, my content based on their reactions. I look at my audience. I see who's paying attention. Mm -hmm. um, and if I'm losing them or they're drifting, I will jump somewhere else. And if they get excited about that, I'm going to start spending more time on that because that's what they're interested in. Yeah. So I can see that actually the way you are speaking right now as well, I can see that uh, you have that quality actually. Uh, sometimes you have inbuilt, sometimes you enhance it with the practice as well. So um, definitely you have that uh, uh, keynote speaking, uh, like as a speaker quality, like public speaking. Thank so you. Uh, yeah. So thank you so much for that insights actually. So 
definitely when I would like to build something like that, definitely I will follow yours as well. So uh, those are the true guidelines for anybody to start keynote speaking. Um, like, you know, you have to always do the analysis before you go for speaking anywhere in the yes. public speaking. Actually, you have to understand your audience. You have to see what is the event about or what is, you know, they are expecting or takeaways they are looking forward to. So um, thank you. Um, moving to the next question, again, coming back to the cybersecurity side. Um, uh, what type of AIs are used in cybersecurity or any examples of AI algorithms in the cybersecurity? Would you like to? Um, share. All right. There's, there's many companies. In fact, it's a very exciting period of time right now mm -hmm. because AI, well, AI is just a tool mm -hmm. and it can be used for all sorts of things. It can be used for good. It can be used for bad. And mm -hmm. so it's very exciting. We're seeing the attackers using it right now. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, they were kind of the first in the industry to start using it to be more efficient, to increase the automation, to scale out many of their attacks. So we're seeing that. At the same time, we're seeing security companies using AI algorithms to inspect traffic, network traffic, to understand if there are malicious threats uh, at endpoints. So mm -hmm. think of enhanced antivirus or anti-malware. Um, we've got companies that are looking to do profiles on what's, what would be a baseline for an average user, right? Or for a specific user. So they know if the computer or the system or the user does something outside of that baseline, mm -hmm. it could be a malicious insider. It could be malware on the system or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're looking at data, they're looking at systems, they're looking at, at activities of the end users. It's all over the place. And there's lots of different algorithms that are being used within it. And for every company, they keep it very close to the vest. They don't want to talk about what algorithms because it is uh, intellectual property for those companies and it's, it's their competitive edge. So they tend not to want to talk about the, the algorithms or the weighting scales or anything like that. Uh, and, and, and I get that, but they are more than willing to talk about the fact that they're trying different ones and there's no single algorithm or methodology that works best. It is, in many cases, trial and error as they pursue their goals, their success goals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that I can relate, actually. It is always, yeah. So uh, moving to the next question, uh, do you think that AI is successful in cybersecurity? Yes, it, it, it is, and, but it's, it's still at the first few steps. There's a long journey here. It will become, in the next three or four years, a crucial tool. You will not be able to have cybersecurity solutions without some form of AI that's bolstering it, helping it, or, or you know, relying upon it mm -hmm. because of the tremendous power and capabilities that it brings to the, to the problem set. So we're just in the beginning. It's already showing great returns. And, you know, every security company that I know of, they want to apply those tool sets. They're, they're having difficulty finding uh, talent and knowledge and architecture to mm -hmm. make that happen. But yes, in every aspect, cybersecurity is, is benefiting from AI. And we're seeing it on the attacker side, too. Mm -hmm. They like the AI aspects, again, from scalability to be able to reach out to larger audience to improve efficiency. You know, uh, imagine phishing. Right mm -hmm. now, the bad guys write a phishing email. What if it was done through an AI system mm -hmm. and every time it succeeded, it recorded. Every time it failed, it recorded and made an adjustment. It would learn very quickly because of the millions of you know, uh, phishing attempts that go out. What would be optimal? 
And that's a detriment to us, to everyday users, because it can automate that, it can learn, and mm -hmm. it can get better and better and better every second of every hour of every day. And it can become more realistic. And that poses a security risk. Yeah, me too, very excited actually to see this uh, artificial intelligence area evolving uh, along the years, like because this is kind of, everybody is looking into jumping around, like uh, they want to work in the AI space and there are lots of domains involved and one of the areas is cybersecurity as well. So um, thank you for that. Um, moving to the next question is uh, about, uh, which companies use AI in the cybersecurity? Like um, all the big companies. First off, every every big cybersecurity or, or, or digital security company is using AI right now, or in the process of doing it. I cannot think of a major one that is not. Mm -hmm. um, the smaller ones and the medium-sized ones also want to use it because again, they need to be competitive. Mm -hmm. uh, but it really, you know, it really depends. Every company is different. Every security company uh, promotes and tries to have a different competitive advantage. And AI tends to be an important part of that or a growing part of that. Uh, we see it especially in the network security side, as well as the endpoint security side, mm -hmm. and now very much so in the cloud security mm -hmm. uh, domains. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's permeating everywhere. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing it in the identity and access management. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing it on the detection of internal threats, malicious insiders, mm -hmm. data leaks, Right. All those areas, it's starting to come up, not at the same pace, but it's all starting to come up and showing results. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, moving to our next question along the same line, uh, which is like, you know, um, uh, is artificial intelligence used to detect the cyber attacks? How is the success rate actually to detect those attacks? This is one of the exciting areas. Um, we've seen it both on the network side, right, detecting network attacks, but probably more prominent on the endpoint side. There have been many companies out there that are using it to either replace traditional anti-malware and antivirus, right, with their own AI kind of design product, or those traditional malware companies are then implementing a version of it to increase the effectiveness of their traditional suite. And again, it, it can really vary the success rate. Um, for those anti-malware companies that already have products out there, a typical anti-malware product may be successful anywhere from 70 to 95% of the time. Right? Mm -hmm. It really depends on the creativeness and what's coming out that's new from mm -hmm. the attacker's side. Uh, for known threats and vulnerabilities, you're talking a high 90s for effectiveness. Mm -hmm. However, as the attackers evolve, because they don't like being defeated 90, you know, 99% of the time, they evolve, come out with something new, then the effectiveness rate drops. So again, you know, AI is absolutely no different, uh, especially when you're talking machine learning and deep learning. You need to have a good depth of training data to really make it effective. And so for novel attacks and zero day attacks, ones that we didn't know of yet, uh, there, there's very little data. So the effectiveness on those types are gonna be much lower as compared to ones that are known or families that we've kind of seen how they operate and can generalize. AI is great in that. It doesn't have to see an exact file Mm -hmm. You can see general behaviors over time of malware and then apply that even to new malware and generally do a good job. 
So it's really about augmenting the tools that we already have mm -hmm. to have more persistence in the effectiveness of being able to detect threats. Yeah. So uh, do you think that um, augmented reality is going to be the future? Like uh, Augmented reality? Yeah. Um, I'm not seeing augmented reality or virtual reality play a big role in cybersecurity yet. Uh, I think it may be eventually, mm -hmm. uh, as the consumers begin to adopt it as a digital tool and, and service that they use more often, it'll be more attractive to the attackers mm -hmm. to potentially attack, manipulate. Um, can you imagine wearing a VRA or a headset and starting to get spam that comes up or phishing attacks? <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> that if that happens, <laughs> then security then responds. For the most part, security is a responsive industry the attackers tend to hold the initiative so they decide what gets attacked when and how and when it becomes a problem then security tends to get funded and focused and then mm -hmm. resolve it so until that happens i don't see ar and vr really being you know mm -hmm. much of a uh, a player in it mm -hmm. so uh one more question along the domain side actually uh does cybersecurity domain has any other differences from the machine learning domains or any other different domains? Well, cybersecurity is used over everything. It's used over you know, manipulation and acquisition of data. It's used at uh, the application layer. So any application that's written today needs okay. cybersecurity in some way. Operating systems, same thing. Virtualized environments, containers, VMs, uh, virtualization managers, firmware, hardware. We're even seeing attacks in hardware. So when you look at that stack mm -hmm. of data and applications, operating systems, virtual, you know, virtualization, firmware, and hardware, Attackers are going all the way through that stack now, mm -hmm. still mostly towards the top, but the threats are there. AI can play a role in all of those as well to help either undermine security or help enhance security. Mm -hmm. Again, AI is simply a tool. It can be used for all these different areas. It's used by the attackers and it'll be used by the defenders wherever they play. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So, uh, moving to the next question is about, uh, so, uh, what are the like methods used to develop the cybersecurity applications? Um, what are the metrics used? Yeah. Um, well, in developing a cybersecurity program, you really need to understand what your goals are, right? Mm -hmm. You will never achieve impenetrable security. Mm-hmm. It's just not a possibility. And even if it were possible, it would be so expensive and impactful, nobody would want it, right? In security, they say, you know, the, the, the most secure server is one that's turned off and buried in concrete, right? Nobody can get to it, nobody can access it. But that's not a very functional server. So it's really about finding that optimal balance. How much risk do you want? How much do you want to spend? How much friction do you want from your users? And what kind of productivity, either gain or hit, do you want from your employees and support staff? So it's finding that and designing that as your goal and then figuring out what type of controls do you need to put in place to be able to hit that optimal level and sustain it over time as attackers change. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we look and, and promote a, um, a model that says you need to have prediction capabilities to understand the threats and understand where you should invest. Mm -hmm. You need to have preventative capabilities to actually go in and put controls in there to mm -hmm. reduce the threat for most of those. There'll still be gaps, 
right? Because you won't protect against everything. You just can't. You need to have a detection mechanism for anything that gets past the prevention. The faster you detect, the faster you can then move on to the last area, which is being able to respond, right? How do you recover, respond? How do you mitigate? And, you know, the first two reduces the chances of loss. The detection and response reduces the amount of loss when something happens. And that becomes a continual loop. You end up learning things to feed back into your prediction model, and it goes around and around and around. And it stays current, or it should, with the changing attack landscape, right? Mm -hmm. The innovation of the attackers. And it, it keeps environments kind of attuned to where they need to be from a perspective. Okay. So we already discussed about this, actually, like... Uh success rate about uh, detecting cyber attacks. So uh, is it possible to detect the cyber attacks before they happen? Some, some. Um, it, it wouldn't be reasonable to expect all of them. There will always be a zero day attack. There will always be, uh, especially when new technology or new processes are instituted, there's typically a weakness somewhere. <laughs> and if the attackers are willing to invest enough to be able to identify that vulnerability and develop an exploit, well, then they're going to get through and keep in mind, it's not just the external attackers. Mm -hmm. right? It can also be internal people. Mm -hmm. So you're always going to have potentially have developers, mm -hmm. executive management, right? People on the inside that need to have access mm -hmm. to those tools, systems, processes, and assets that can still conduct an attack for whatever reason, right? Mm -hmm. um, and cause loss. So it is not possible to pretend to you know predict and prevent every kind of attack it just isn't yeah but some can be predicted before oh absolutely and if you can get into that 70 to 95 percent range you're doing good obviously you want to be closer to the 95 98 percent range but you know don't have the expectation that you will be able to protect against everything it's simply not possible or reasonable Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, so uh, moving to the question, actually, the podcast stands for like uh, leadership. So uh, truly uh, like shows that your passion and the way you lead the area that you are passionate about. So how do you describe your leadership style? You already mentioned a couple of things that, you know, whenever there is a challenge or something that you always lead the team. So uh, any kind of a leadership style that you would like to recommend or it is your leadership style and you follow any particular leader or something and why kind of um so I'll, I'll throw out a couple of names right to me leadership is is not something that's new it's something that's been around throughout human history mm -hmm. and so there have been great leaders that have accomplished things that, that people didn't even think were possible um in rallying people. Um, so for example, Sun Tzu, what am I going to write? The Art of War. It talks about leadership, you know, what, 600 BC, right? And those, those principles are still valid even today. It's being taught in military schools. It's being taught in businesses. Um, so, you know, something like that is, is very important. Patton is, is a personal, um, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of his leadership style, a little crazy, uh, but it really comes down in my mind right? In understanding your objectives, if you don't have a clear understanding of your objectives, you won't get there. Mm -hmm. So you have to have those goals and you have to be able to communicate those goals to your team, whomever you're leading, the partners and, and everything else. So you have to be able to communicate. You have to build a good team and that requires inclusion. It's not just men. It's not just women. It's, it's 
everybody, everybody brings, especially in cybersecurity, everybody brings a different perspective, mm-hmm. set of experiences and skills. The very best teams that I've led have mm-hmm. always, always been incredibly diverse. Mm-hmm. And so you have to bring that in and understand what those skill sets are, give them their objectives and let the, the, the people do what they're, you know, do what they're designed and, and what they're passionate about doing. Mm-hmm. And if you can align those towards those goals, now you're talking about a winning team. Mm-hmm. And I'm one that encourages. Um, I don't know everything about everything at all. I try and learn as much as I can. So for me, being a leader is also learning from the people that are around me, the people that I'm learning. But make no mistake, leaders are the ones out in front. Mm-hmm. So if I'm leading a team, I lead from the front. Yes. And I'm willing to take those risks. I'm willing to communicate the risks that I'm taking. Mm-hmm. And I am more than happy if there's a failure to take responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. If there's a success, it's the team's success. Mm-hmm. If there's a failure, that sits on my shoulders and I accept that. So I go into it wide, you know, eyes wide open and pursuing that goal, never, you know, never wavering, but mm-hmm. working really as a team. And hopefully the people that I work with see that. And I hope to be the first person in the office every morning, the last person that leaves. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, it, it tends to work out. Yeah. So leader is something that always there for you. So yeah. whether it is a success or the failure, I'm always there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that is really, I liked it actually. So thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, moving to the next question is about uh, uh, what do you think that one has to do, like, you know, to grow and uh, in the particular area they're passionate about and take the leaderships like they are interested in. So what they are the like, be brave. milestones or the steps kind of? They have to be brave, right? Mm-hmm. We all have goals. We all have ambitions, mm-hmm. but we have to be brave enough to be able to vocalize those or put them down on paper, share them with others. That gets us to the next step that then we're willing to commit our time, our effort, our passion, our energy, right? If it's an important goal, it probably isn't easy. And if it is easy, it probably isn't that important of a goal, right? It's life is about change Mm -hmm. and goals typically are something you aspire to. So there is a path and we have to be our own best advocates and we have to leverage the resources around us and partnerships to help get us and others where they want to be. And in most cases, it's teamwork effort. So Mm -hmm. understanding it's not just you, you have to work with others to get where you want to go and you're going to be helping them get where they want to go. So it's, you know, it's, you have to have the courage to step forward and the willingness to drive to your end destination. Uh, so last question to end up this podcast is like, you know, for the audience, like any books or courses, um, or any kind of a recommendation that you would like to give to the audience that they are looking for building their career in the cybersecurity and uh, you know uh, they're interested. So uh, any kind of things like how they can build their learning path towards it? Yes. Uh, in fact, <clears throat> the cybersecurity industry is a great industry to go into. Current mm-hmm. estimates, you know, within a couple of years, there will be 3 million unfulfilled jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even right now, there is not enough people to fulfill the roles that are out there. Uh, and it's just growing. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for anybody and everybody who has a passion, who has an interest, 
and may be willing to work in that environment to explore it. There are many tools that are out there and there's many people willing to help you. So first off, if you're interested, hopefully it's aligned with your passion because again, cybersecurity is not easy. There's a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot of difficulty there. There's challenges every single day and the roles are constantly changing. If you got a job today, I would tell you within 18 months, your job would probably fundamentally change in major ways. Either the tools you're using, the objectives you're pursuing, the people you're going to work with, the environment you're going to support or protect, one or all of those things may drastically change even just a short period of time. So it is not a uh, predictable kind of role, but if you're good with that, and you've got a passion towards it, there are tremendous opportunities. Everything from leadership on the technical side, on the behavioral side, process side, in every market and industry across the globe, they need people to help protect the digital assets. Mm -hmm. So there are tools. So for example, one of my favorite sites to direct people to who are interested is cyberseek.org. It was actually created uh, partially by funding by the U.S. government, and it's, it's geared towards uh, U.S. citizens, but the fundamentals are there. It does a couple of things. It shows a heat map to show what, you know, where the jobs are kind of available right now and what kind of jobs, but it also, more importantly, shows career paths. Because mm-hmm. if you're going to join cybersecurity, chances are you're not going to get your dream job the first job you get. Mm-hmm. So it, it tends to be a career path. And it will show you the different places and different career options, you know, where you start and, and kind of the ladders that you can go through. Mm-hmm. It also provides some insights, especially from the sponsors, uh, the different types of certifications you can get. Mm-hmm. So that can help somebody understand, is this for me? Where could I start? Mm-hmm. And how do I get from that starting job to the dream job that I really want to have? And it can show you that path. So that's, you know, I think important. Lastly, what I always recommend, if somebody is interested in cybersecurity, there's a tremendous amount of learning Mm -hmm. and it's continuous. You have to keep up with what's going on in the industry, how the attackers and the attacks and the methodologies, how they're all changing. What I strongly recommend is identifying somebody in that dream job you have, or maybe the job that you're going to get. And identify a leader in, in social media. I, I use LinkedIn a lot because it's business professional, but identify somebody in that role, follow them, right? Mm-hmm. See what they're seeing in the industry. Listen to how they're viewing the problems or solutions or challenges, right? And if you've got questions or you've got insights or you want to join the conversations, do so. That's what social media is about. Um, All my colleagues, when we post something out to LinkedIn or or whatnot, we want to hear from others, Mm -hmm. whether they agree or disagree. We want a conversation to happen Mm -hmm. and everybody to jump in Mm -hmm. because, again, we only succeed if we communicate and collaborate. Mm -hmm. So don't hold back. Get out there. Learn from those people that are doing the work or having the insights. See it from their eyes. And jump into the conversations and you will learn just as much as you would, you know, you know, going to, to classes or certifications. And that would be the last thing is explore uh, formal education, right? We're seeing it in high schools. We're seeing it in community colleges, in graduate schools, everywhere. Uh, great programs are coming out. 
there are a number of great certifications for typically technical type of certifications. There's a few for leadership and management as well. Explore those. And there's also, for those who are technically savvy and want to get into the technical mm-hmm. world, there are cyber ranges, which are completely free and anonymous to join, and they will provide you a safe environment and many times a whole bunch of free classes as well, mm-hmm. but a safe environment to take malware and explode it and see what happens, to be able to hack things and tinker, and it's a completely safe environment, and it will actually give you more experience and skills that will help you get into the marketplace, the job marketplace, and it will help you when you're in that role mm-hmm. in figuring out what you need to get done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was very, very wise and elaborative, I feel. Uh, so it was like a best advice to have to anybody. Uh, so thank you so much. And uh, thank you so much for your time being a guest on Solid Saturday podcast. Definitely, I can see that all the qualities and why people like you and you have like a huge community following you, like 190K plus. So that truly uh, shows in your like, you know, whenever you are talking, actually, whenever you're speaking or whenever you are sharing anything, that definitely shows that that why people like you. So thank you so much and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very kind of you to say and hope we can talk again in the future. Yep, sure. Thank you so much. Thank you.